Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to have to flee your own country, spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas, and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government in our name treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated if we found ourselves in this position. Refugee Radio is the voice of refugees. It's hard to go on living when your future is denied. Good day and welcome to Refugee Radio. I'm your host, Celine Yap. And in the studio with me today, we have a lovely guest, Dana Affleck. Um, and she'll be speaking to us about her project called Road to Refuge, which is one of my favorite projects. Um, meanwhile, in news this week, 16 asylum seekers whose boat was pushed back to the sea by the Royal Australian Navy last week were found stranded near West Kupang in Indonesia on Thursday night. The whereabouts of the boat had been a mystery after it was towed out to sea when it came within 200 metres of Christmas Island last Friday. One of the police officers who assisted the 16 male asylum seekers of their boat at Tablolong Beach in West Kupang told Fairfax Media they could have died if no one had found them. An asylum seeker who once reportedly cut open his stomach during a hunger strike to prove it was empty is at risk of death and must be brought to Australia for treatment, prominent human rights lawyer Julian Burnside says. The asylum seeker, an Iraqi who is detained at Papua New Guinea's Manus Island, recently had a fit and bashed his head against a wall until he lost consciousness, Mr Burnside said. He was sent to hospital bleeding from the head, the nose and the ears, he said, adding he understood Mr. Albadiri can no longer take fluids or solids and struggled to accept intravenous hydration. The Immigration Department says the man who was not close, was not close to death and continues to receive appropriate clinical care in Papua New Guinea, delivered by health professionals as required. Mr. Burnside said he contacted the Office of Immigration Minister P Peter Dutton and spoke to a Labour leader, Bill Shorten, about the case. The department needs to be very quick of the mark. I think he needs to be evacuated, probably to an Australian hospital to get proper care, he said, adding his life was at serious risk. Asylum seeker advocates had alerted officials to the man's condition, and if he dies, he dies with their knowledge of the risk. The sad truth is, whatever happens, whether he lives or not, he is likely to be seriously damaged long term, Mr. Burnside said. Four nations along Europe's Balkan refugee corridor shut their borders Thursday to those not coming from war-torn countries such as Syria, Afghanistan or Iraq, leaving thousands of others seeking a better life in Europe stranded at border crossings. The overnight decision was exactly the domino effect that both asylum seekers and European nations had feared would happen given the record number of people fleeing to Europe this year, and new fears after the deadly Paris attacks of possible militants coming in with refugees. Mohammed Mirzam from Afghanistan knows he will be let through, but his wife and two children, Ilya and Elena, 
five and three, are Iranian nationals and will not. We're trapped, he said, from the Greek side of the border at Idomeni. They won't let my family across. We have no money and we're waiting without any idea of what is to happen. Macedonia was not allowing in from Greece people from Morocco, Sri Lanka, Sudan, Liberia, Congo or Pakistan. The UNHCR spokeswoman in Serbia, Melita Sunjic, said Thursday, Hundreds of migrants stranded at Greece's northern border clashed with police Thursday while trying to force their way into Macedonia. The migrants from Iran, Morocco, Pakistan and several other countries confronted Macedonian riot police who were seen hitting protesters with batons. Macedonia toughened rules for crossing earlier this month in the wake of the deadly Paris attacks, restricting access to citizens from countries typically granted asylum in Europe, including Syria and Afghanistan. At least 10 people stranded at the border are on hunger strike and have sewn their mouths shut in protest. One of the hunger strikers fainted during the protest and was carried, by, carried to a medical tent set up by a charity organization. An Iranian migrant who asked to be identified only by her first name, Sonia, said she was afraid to return to Iran after speaking out against authorities there. They are not letting us into Macedonia. I have tried to cross at several points, but the police were always there to stop us, she said. On the Serbian border with Macedonia, the Serbs were only letting in migrants from Syria, Afghanistan and Iraq. And on the Croatia-Serbia border, Quotes were only accepting people from those three countries, plus Palestinians, she said. Slovenia, the next country in the chain, also said it has been turning back the so-called economic migrants. Serbia has turned back to Macedonia some 200 migrants, and Macedonia has not let them in, Sundrik said. So they are stuck on no man's land, she told the Associated Press. Croatia refused 162 migrants from Morocco, rejected by Slovenia. Slovenia later Thursday said it will allow those migrants to proceed toward Austria. This is going to be definitely a challenging situation, Sundjic said. UNHCR does not think that there is any nation that can be excluded from international protection based on their nationalities, but each case individually should be screened and processed based on the merits of the case. In the Greek border area of Idomeni, police said the border has essentially been shut down to all since about 8 a.m. Thursday, after roughly 300 people, mostly from Iran, gathered at the crossing seeking to be also allowed through. A further 2,500 people are waiting at a camp nearby that provides temporary shelter for those heading north through the Balkans. So that's the news for today. Not very good. I'm sorry to um, announce. I actually did see a video of um, what was going on on the Macedonian border and it was really upsetting. Um, the police were hitting people with batons and the thing that that really got to me was there was a little girl who was about eight or nine years old and she was standing there in the rain in her raincoat with her dad um, and she was crying and it just it just seemed... Like, why, why, why does she get to do this? And, you know, I get to sit here and talk to you guys. It was just really upsetting. Um, in the studio with me today, we have Dana Affleck. She has been nominated for the Weekly Review's Local Hero. And she's founded 
Road to Refuge, which is probably why she was nominated as the local hero. Anyway, she's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And I met her about maybe a month ago, two months ago, and I saw her speak, and she was really amazing. So thank you for being here, Dana. Thanks for having me. Um, so tell us about what you do and tell us about Road to Refuge. So Road to Refuge is a um, project that I started um, about two and a half years ago. And um, I've been working on it with a whole bunch of friends and volunteers. Um, and now it's grown so much that um, it's really changed form. So when I first started Road to Refuge, it was... Um, a website and the website still exists, um, roadtorefuge.com. I have seen that website. It's very pretty, uh -huh. very well laid out. I can't take any uh, credit for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Two beautiful artists helped me put it all together and a very talented web developer. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, so I suppose the point of um, the journeys on the website is to take the interactive journey of an asylum seeker um, coming from their country of origin um, to Australia and the whole point of that for me was to give people a chance to put themselves in the shoes of an asylum seeker and, you know, try to work out what would you do if you had the choices that are available to them, which are limited and are difficult and there's no guarantees for safety. Um, so it was just that kind of attempt to create a transformative experience for people that um, may not have really stood back and thought about what would lead someone to such a dangerous um, decision to get on a boat and, you know, what could possibly push someone to a point that they thought that was their best option. It's such a good idea because I think that people do struggle putting themselves in other people's shoes sometimes and to come up with a way to do that, I, th I think that's very clever. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and so it's, it's been a pretty um, crazy journey ever since. We're now, um, there's 30 of us working for Road Refuge and we've got... Um, a schools team, we go out this year, we've seen almost a thousand students um, mm. in not just Melbourne, but also in regional areas like Shepparton, Achuka, Marupna, and we're about to go to Horsham next week. Um, and we run comedy, like we run a big comedy event and we ran a feminist uh, panel night to talk about the intersectional issues um, that refugee and asylum seeker women face. And we've got community education programs and a coffee cart and we've just got so much going on now and there's so many people involved and pioneering their own projects through Road to Refuge. So it's been just such an exciting time for me. Well, was there a particular idea, like a particular, I guess, I don't know, story or thing that that made you come up with this idea or was it just that, that wanting to get people to look at this from their perspective? Well, um, I think it really came from um, storytelling and me sort of realising that storytelling was the most powerful way to not only get people's attention but to really um, communicate a reality to someone rather than talking them through facts, telling them someone's personal story, um, obviously with permission, is the best way to um, get through to people. So I suppose Road Refuge was me trying to find a way to do storytelling that wasn't um, you know, taking the form of uh, an interview or um, a book because I felt like that was being done and done well. Um, I wanted to just try something a bit, you know, a bit more different that would grab people's attention. So that's how I sort of came up with the Choose Your Own Adventure style journeys. Mm. It's it's a good idea. Um, so you, you, you mentioned that you do workshops on, on how to um, speak to friends and family about asylum seekers and refugees, which I think is really, really amazing. Um, 
could you give our listeners some tips or ideas on 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 that topic in particular? Because I think that um, you know there's only so much. Like, say, if you're on the street protesting against like lobbying politicians to change their minds, politicians won't change their minds unless it comes from the community. So the job that you're doing, which is is doing that, is lobbying the community to say, you know, let the politicians know that they won't get another term because we're unhappy about it. Um, so yeah, so. Any tips and ideas and advice maybe? Yeah, yeah. So um, I suppose there's two sort of sets of advice. Um, one is to do with content and how you um, sort of frame the way you speak about the issue to people who don't necessarily want to talk about it. And the other set of advice is about self-care. So um, from a practical point of view, making sure that you're retelling stories I think is the most powerful way to get through to people whether it's someone you personally know if, if you happen um, to be uh, friends with or working closely with um, refugees and people seeking asylum obviously again like with their permission and making sure that you um, protect their identity if that's necessary um, but the other thing is um, about not getting caught up in statistics so often you know when I was first working in this area, I'd really want to jump to sort of going like, well, Germany's taking 800,000 people and Sweden takes this many people and one in four people in Lebanon are refugees and da, 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 you know, all that sort of stuff. And that is not wrong, but that's not moving and that's not inspiring. And someone who doesn't agree that we should be taking refugees or more refugees into Australia is not going to be instantly turned around by that fact. Um, because you're not addressing the core problem. So it's not a simple fix and there's no silver bullet, but what I try to do when I'm speaking to people is pick my audience and try to work out what the problem is. And I find the best way to do that quickly is to turn the questions back onto them. So if someone is asking me or, you know, putting me on the spot and I all of a sudden find myself in a situation where they're making out like I need to be responsible um, for the entire refugee movement around the world and that I need to be an expert, you know, um, at like a UN sort of level for them to actually take me seriously, which is a ridiculous burden that is often put on um, advocates. Um, I prefer to turn around and say, well, what what do you think a reasonable number of people would be and why do you think that? And if you start getting them to explain to you, then they're going to start revealing to you the reasons that they're not, um, you know, accepting of um, refugees. So, And then you can start having a more targeted discussion. So if they've sort of raised things which are you know, hinting that maybe there's a racist element in there or maybe there's Islamophobia, then you can start examining Islamophobia rather than um, having to, yeah, lay out every statistic on the book, in the book. And um, the last sort of piece of advice I'd give is just to not be down on yourself if you don't convert that person or, you know, bring them around to your point of view because it's not easy and people usually come around, you know, to to being much more accepting of refugees over time and the conversation you've had is important and um, you just need to walk away once the conversation has come to an end and not be disappointed that you haven't got the outcome you wanted. Um, Yeah, and just know that you're doing a good thing by even keeping the issue visible in of itself is an important thing. So just keep talking, keep, keep pushing. 
This is an amazing piece of advice. Thank you. I it's actually quite beneficial to myself as well. I I really love that. Um, so you also work for the ASRC. Um, and you run a youth project. Could you tell us about that as well? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm the youth organiser at ASRC. It's a new role. So I've um, been working through a new project that I've just launched. So it's called the Youth Action Project. And it's for anyone under, under 30 who wants to take action to protect the rights of refugees and people seeking asylum. So um, that's really, you know, the only um, requirement to be part of the Youth Action Project and people can get as involved as they want. Um, we run monthly meetups and we have guest speakers um, to come along. So last, or this month I should say, we had Muhammad Ali Bakiri speak um, just about his life story um, which you know involves him coming to Australia by boat as an unaccompanied uh, teenager and um, he spent three years on Nauru. But what I asked him to also speak about was um, why he's become an advocate. So not just talking about his story, but also talking about why he went that extra step and has now dedicated almost all his spare time to advocating on this issue. Mm, I see him all the time and he always tells me how tired he is. And yeah. 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 It's, it takes a toll. I mean, he's, you know, being really vulnerable and brave and it's really um, incredible. And people like Muhammad speaking at um, the meetups is really important for young people who want to take action because they need to be led by um, people with the lived experience rather than um, having, you know, discussions about how to take action without actually... Knowing um, how. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was exciting. And then we had um, Barker oh, Khan. Just oh, hang sorry, on a second. Sorry. No, no, no. I just, I just thought of a really good question. What was his answer to that? What was his answer to um, how did he address that? Why, why did he become now a refugee advocate? Um, he actually had trouble um, answering it. I think because it comes so naturally to him. Yeah, it's such a straightforward progression, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I think it, um, for him it was just that he was seeing injustice and he had a story to tell and he knew it was powerful and, um, you know, just kind of that was just what was next for him, I yeah, suppose. The, the talk is actually going to be available online soon as well oh. um, on YouTube. So Let us know. We'll, we'll share it around. That that's would be really great. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's so we have meetups and we had Kubra Marathi speak and Barker Khan. Um, so that was great. Um, and yeah, we do ring-ins to politicians around campaigns. So um, this past two weeks, we've, re we've called 84 um, politicians on various refugee campaign issues. Um, it's pretty much young people speaking to them, saying yeah. this is, we don't want this, you know, what you're doing. Yeah, so like I'll sort of train people up beforehand and not it's not intensive training, it's just some <laughs> basic sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, it's really, it is really um, da daunting to yeah. call a politician and have a staffer kind of make it clear that they don't want, you know, you to be calling. So it's a real skill to be able to keep them on the phone and make sure that your message gets across. So doing it in a room with people is um, not just uh, more effective and you're more likely to call more people, but it's actually very fun because if you get shut down or you stuff something up or you say something really stupid, um, you know, there's a whole room full of people to, to have a <laughs> yeah to vent with and have a laugh with. And, yeah. you know, if a staffer basically tells you to F off, you know, you can have a bit of a laugh <laughs> afterwards. So. It, so it doesn't go straight to the body, it just goes to their office, not straight yeah. to the actual person. Yeah, okay. exactly. So you're never going to really speak to Bill Shorten. Yeah, or... <laughs> yeah. If you're a constituent of a politician's seat mm -hmm. um, and you want to get an appointment, you can call and ask to speak to them. Okay. And, you know, you may or may not be successful and probably the more you badger them, the more likely you'll get an appointment. Um, when I was 16, I um, 
got an appointment to speak about uh, detention with Josh Frydenberg in the seat of Kuyong. So, um, and he was lovely. He gave me 45 minutes of his time, which was, you know, oh, that's really, really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so in your opinion, after doing all the work that you do, and you know, you, how how long, how many years have you been doing this now? Um, Road to Refuge is coming up to three years, but mm-hmm. I've been um, visiting detention um, since I was 20, 19 okay. or 20. So um, a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, in your opinion, what is the biggest issue holding Australia back when it comes to showing compassion to refugees? I think... I think it really goes down to um, deep-seated and um, unaddressed racism. Um, I think that the way that we treat refugees and people seeking asylum and the laws that um, are enacted to oppress refugees are symptomatic of um, our ability to witness um, the oppression of people of colour um, and to see them as different to ourselves and just a general lack of empathy. So when I was first working in this area, I really thought I hadn't thought about it from a broader perspective. Um, but yeah, I suppose the longer I've been around watching everything unfold and trying to prevent things from unfolding um, in the way that they have, I've sort of started to see links between other forms of oppression in Australia and I think that you know we've got a real scary undercurrent that um, we're only just beginning to um, acknowledge from I mean from a mainstream perspective obviously people who are affected um, by racial oppression are not you know just realizing Um, but from yeah I think white people are just starting to come around and recognize it which is you know not at all good enough um, but but it's getting there, you think? Um, I think we're talking about it more. Mm. But I think we are, you know, we've got a lot lot that needs to be done and I think we're, you know, we're so far, far behind and there's, yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's extremely challenging. It's like, as in not for us, for people of colour. So um, looking at the broader perspective, if you could simplify it down, which is not easy, I know, but um, what do you think is the way forward in in your mind? Like what keeps you going? What keeps me going? Um, <laughs> like the, what, what's the way forward is different to what keeps oh, me sorry. going. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, I know. But um, no, you know, for, you for have, me, you they're not one of the vision. same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose what keeps me going is just... Um, the fact that if I didn't keep going, it's not like I'd be able to ignore what's happening. And because I still have so many friends who are still um, so badly affected by our laws and policies and um, I feel so familiar with so many people that I haven't even met that it just feels so real, like their pain feels, you know, so close to home to me and... I don't know, you just can't walk away from that once you become, you know, emotionally involved. It's just, that's just too late now. I, I, I don't know, that that's thing perfect. really gets me through, no. but yeah, I just can't that's, walk away from it. That, that that actually leads me on to a quote. Um, it was actually something else, but as you were saying that, um, I just thought of something that, that, that really suited what you just said. Um, and we're going out to a quote like we always do. Thank you, Dana, so much for being in the studio with us today. You're so inspiring every time I hear you speak. It, 
really inspires me to keep on going and do better things with myself. Thank you for having me. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so the quote that I was saying is, um, is from a doc- Dr. Seuss book, um, The Lorax, and it says, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better, it's not. And it's one of my favourite quotes. And Dana, you, you, you'd spend every day, you know, trying to make things better for other people. So thanks for doing that. We're going out to a track um, by Enda Kinney called Nario Creek. Creek, sorry. Thank you for listening. This is Refugee Radio on 3CR 855 AM.